Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So I like surprising people. And even when I'm being introduced, like with my with my current partner, people will say, oh, nice to meet you. Are you an actress trying to make it in L.A.? I'm yeah. like, oh, no, actually, I do this. And they're yeah. like, oh, 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 my God. An L.A. therapist was murdered inside of her home, and her suspected killer is about to go on trial. It's everything we know so far into the killing of Dr. Amy Harwick. Plus, her good friend Robert Koshlin comes on to discuss some of the last exchanges he had with the doctor, including her final text. Welcome to Sidebar, presented by Law & Crime. I'm Jesse Weber. A new trial is beginning out in California this week, and we plan to cover it on the Law and Crime Network. It is the trial of the person accused of murdering Hollywood therapist Dr. Amy Harwick back in 2020. And in anticipation of this case, we want to do a review of everything we know so far. So Dr. Amy Harwick was a 38-year-old family relationship and sex therapist originally from Pennsylvania. And she was quite high profile out in Los Angeles. She was even engaged to comedian and Price is Right host Drew Carey at one point in time. Dr. Harwick appeared in magazines, podcasts, TV news programs. She was the author of the 2014 book, The New Sex Bible for Women, and she even had her own YouTube channel. Now, according to her memorial page, Dr. Harwick dedicated her career and personal life to helping women succeed, including forming a group called Foxy Feminists that helped women local to Los Angeles connect with each other for job opportunities and support. But sadly, she was killed shortly after Valentine's Day 2020. So here's a timeline of what we think happened based on the reporting, and obviously we will learn more during the course of this trial. Well, Dr. Harwick wakes up. And she goes for a walk with a friend and grabs a bite to eat on February 14th. Then later in the night, at around 7.30 p.m., the doctor meets up with some friends at a burlesque show. And then she goes home shortly after midnight. She sends a text at around 1.02 a.m. to one of her friends asking for photos from the show. We believe she sends a text to her friend Robert Koshlin asking about a restaurant on an upcoming trip that they're going to go on. And shortly after that, That is when we believe, and that is when investigators believe, she was attacked in her home. Now, she didn't live by herself. No, Dr. Harwick was on the third floor, and her roommate, who was sleeping on the first floor, awoke to screaming. Well, the roommate reportedly couldn't find his phone, and he yelled at whoever had been attacking Dr. Harwick to stop. So then, the roommate runs outside to get help, tries knocking on doors, and then finally finds someone on the street with a phone and calls 911 at 1.14 a.m. And when police arrive, they find Dr. Harwick barely able to breathe, and it was believed that she was thrown over the third-story balcony. Now, the medical examiner would determine her death a homicide, meaning that she was killed by somebody else, 
and that she died from a combination of manual strangulation and blunt force trauma. She's rushed to the hospital. She's pronounced dead at 3.30 a.m. Introducing the next generation of pepper spray. Meet Palm, a new maximum strength self-defense product with a patented modular design, revolutionizing the self-defense industry. Whether you're carrying the unit on your keys, snapping the unit on your backpack, your keychain, or carrying the unit in your pocket, Palm is the perfect everyday carry accessory. Palm's patented flip-top safety prevents any accidental misfire, and its maximum strength formula provides you with the necessary range and capacity to bring peace of mind to you and your loved ones. Quality, safety, performance, peace of mind. Learn more at palmpepperspray.com. Investigators, they analyze the crime scene for any clues and evidence, and they determine that there is signs of forced entry and a struggle. They find blood on Dr. Harwick's bedroom door and beads from her necklace scattered around in her bedroom. In fact, that roommate that I had mentioned had told police that he heard a loud noise earlier in the night, but then went back to sleep. And investigators believe that that noise was the killer breaking into the house and waiting there hours before the attack on Harwick. So now the question is, who did this? Who killed Dr. Amy Harwick? Well, that brings me back to the trial that I mentioned, the trial that is about to start up. Because this is the murder trial of the man who was arrested less than 24 hours after Harwick's killing. And that man is Gareth Pursehouse, a software engineer, an occasional professional photographer, and even an aspiring comedian who appeared on the program Kill Tony. Here he is. One more time for Gareth, everybody. Come on. Hello, everybody. All right, let me uh, spin around this. There we go. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be here in all the best parts of entertainment. We've got most of a band. We've got morning radio sound effects, sometimes a full band when a toy kazoo comes from the ground, raises from the grave, takes over Tony and starts singing. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful time. Um, <laughs> I think he froze. Why, did you, why are you a one-name comedian? Oh, my, name, my last name's Long, so I just didn't bother. What do, okay. my, my last name's Pursehouse. It's too long to write. What is it? Purse house. Purse house? <laughs> wow. Too long to write, huh? It's two words we all know. Now, why did police arrest him? Who is he? Well, he was Dr. Harwick's ex-boyfriend from nine years earlier. And she had, in fact, filed two protective orders against him, accusing him of physically assaulting her, including pulling her out of a car, suffocating her, punching her, slamming her head, kicking her. And she said that he would get so angry and that he refused to get help in their relationship. She accused him of previously breaking into her apartment, sending her unwanted gifts, watching her from inside her home and when he was outside, and even sent her and her friends threatening texts and emails. In fact, one text to her from him allegedly read, things will get worse. And Dr. Harwick reportedly told her friends that Pursehouse was, quote, her stalker. Now, that latest protection order from 2012, it actually expired in 2015. And it was our understanding that Dr. Harwick really hadn't seen Pursehouse in years until a month before her death. And that is very important because a month before her death, that is when she ran into him at an event. And apparently he was working as a photographer. Well, Pursehouse allegedly called the doctor a derogatory term, said that she ruined his life. There was this whole altercation. Dr. Harwick reportedly tried to de-escalate the situation. Her friend who was there said that she went into therapist mode. 
And it's kind of eerie to think about that this event happened just a month before she was killed. And we have to imagine that's going to be an important piece of evidence for prosecutors. So Purse House, he was ultimately charged with murder and burglary. The prosecution claims that the DNA collected from underneath Dr. Harwick's fingernails and one of the doors in her home matched Purse House's DNA. But that's not all. Officers also found a syringe filled with liquid at the crime scene, and they found an identical syringe with the same liquid inside of Purse House's home. Lab techs confirmed that the liquid in the syringe was a lethal dose of nicotine. And by the way, friends have testified that they never saw Dr. Harwick smoke nicotine or cigarettes or vape or inject herself. Now, he has pleaded not guilty to the crimes. Now, his defense attorney in the past has claimed that there's not enough evidence tying Purse House to the murder. And if convicted, he could spend the rest of his life in prison, and he'll technically be eligible for the death penalty because of the lying and wait to murder component of the crime. That's a special circumstance. Although I should tell you, Governor Gavin Newsom has announced that he will be doing away with death row next year. I want to bring in right now one of Dr. Harwick's good friends, someone who may have been one of the last people to communicate with her before her death. Robert Koshland joins Sidebar right now. Robert, thank you so much for taking the time to come here. You're welcome. I know this must be an incredibly difficult time with the trial starting, and I also know that there's a lot you can't say about it because I believe you're going to be a witness in the case. But I actually want to take a step back and just talk a little bit about Dr. Harwick, who she was to you, and how you two became friends. Uh, Amy Harwick was uh, my closest friend, and we pretty much connected after doing a photo shoot. We met at a party, but we did this photo shoot, I want to say like six months to a year later. And at that photo shoot, uh, we just found out we were just super like compatible in terms of like the way we thought about things, about our interests, the fact that we both literally worked at the same mall as uh, teenagers, but at different time periods, because I'm older than her. And uh, so we had all these like crazy things in common. She was just super smart, super interesting, always on the go, super fun person just to be around and to do stuff with and collaborate on kind of crazy ideas. As I was uh, researching and learning a little bit more about her, I heard from people who said that she would always ask a ton of questions um, and she was really interested in knowing the person that she was speaking with and was so engaged, which, you know, obviously as a therapist, that makes sense, but it also shows her as a person how social she was and how much she was actually interested in people, right? Yeah, she was definitely, when she walked into a room, everybody was excited to see her because she was just such a cool person. And if you talk to her within minutes, you'd be like, oh my God, I'm, I love this person. I'm, I want to be friends with them because she was, yeah, she was genuinely interested in what you did, anything you had to say. Now, you know, uh, obviously some people are more interesting to her than others. And she's particularly like people that did weird jobs or had kind of unusual hobbies or things like that, because then she would relentlessly question them about every detail of it to, to learn, right. just to learn because she was always interested in people. Do you remember the last time you saw her face to face? Yeah, I did. Um, a couple of days before the murder, she and my ex-wife and I went to see a movie. We went to see a movie called The Lodge, which is like a horror movie and uh, in Hollywood. And I recall um, we, we went to the movie and then we had dinner afterwards. And um, I was thinking, oh, we should take photos because she loved to take photos. Every time we got together, she was like, let's take photos. But um, I just, I didn't. She had, she had rushed over. So 
I thought, well, you know, she like is made up as she wants to be or whatever, even though she wouldn't have cared. Uh, so I just, I thought about it while we were sitting there and I didn't take it. And then of course, later I was like, oh, we should have taken photos. But yeah, that was like, that was like a Tuesday of that week was the last time I saw her in person. And when you found out um, what happened, I mean, after just seeing her, my understanding is you might have sent one of the last text messages to her before she died. What was your reaction when you found out the news? Yeah, um, I, I think, you know, I had sent the text message sometime prior to that, but she responded just before. Well, I mean, I was I was pretty devastated, obviously. I, I was in the police station when I found out, you know, the, the de- details. So, yeah, it was, uh, you know... Uh, surreal, I guess. You know, I, I I think when something like this that's huge happens, you don't process it. You just are like, no, everything's fine. You know, I don't. You know, you know, you know, it's not. But like, you just don't. It's hard to comprehend. And I guess it's different for everybody. I mean, some some people obviously when they heard the news really you know freaked out. I was kind of a little stoic and definitely spaced out about it. You know, and and I think I am to this day, to be honest. Well, the the conversation that you had with her, the text messages, um, what was it about, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, we were messaging about uh, going to uh, going on a trip. So we had uh, tickets to go to London and then to uh, Edinburgh, Scotland. So I had messaged her about a restaurant that I wanted to go to that I thought she would like called The Witchery in Edinburgh. And uh, she responded that her last text to me was like, that looks cool or something to that effect. Um, cause I knew she'd like it. And so obviously we, we didn't go, it was going to be in April of 2020 and between the murder and the pandemic and everything that was, it didn't happen. So on New Year's day of this year, I actually flew up to Edinburgh from London, uh, just to go to that restaurant, um, because mm. I felt like it was kind of like a pilgrimage. I needed to go do it. And it's a cool restaurant. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and our understanding is based on the timeline. That message might have been the last communication she had with someone um, before she was ultimately killed. Is that your understanding as well? Yeah, I believe it was a few minutes before. When um, it came out that uh, Gareth Purse, uh, Pursehouse was the person suspected and ultimately arrested, were you surprised? Um, no. Um, I was the person that suggested he was involved. Um, so, um, so, no, it didn't surprise me at all. Um, though obviously when, once, when it happened in the beginning, we had no idea. Um, I just suggested him as a possible person as she had expressed concern about him prior and had had a run in with him uh, a few weeks prior. That run in uh, about a month before when he was working an event as a photographer and there was an altercation between the two of them. Um, was she scared about what happened or was she more concerned about what happened? Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I mean, she was scared and she's concerned. So, um, you know, she called me the, net, the day after, I believe, and uh, kind of gave me all the details. And um, at that point, she's like, I'm going to start sharing my location. Or I think I suggested, let's share locations so that, you know, I can see where you're at. And she's like, oh, that's a good idea. So we started sharing locations that day after. Yeah, she expressed uh, a, a lot of concern and fear. I mean, she had always been concerned about him. And, and then after seeing him after so many years and, and the way he behaved, according to her, um, it really riled her up and, and made her very fearful. Did you ever meet him? No, never met him. And and before that incident happened, um, about a month before, uh, was she vocal about him in general, um, or was it that incident that kind of sparked her back in her life and a conversation about him, or was she talking about him? Um, you know, I, I have this guy in my my life. He's a, he stalks me, anything like that. She hadn't talked about him in a while, but she had previously talked about him years before, a couple times before. So over the years, yeah, she he definitely came up, but it wasn't like she talked about him all the time. Um, she wasn't really someone that dwelled in the past, um, but if she had kind of uh, something weird happen or a concern that like he was like stalking her or whatever, periodically she would bring it up. So like, I feel like in 2014 or 15 about, she had some concerns and then later around 2018 or 19, she would periodically bring him up. So over, over the years, yeah. There's one thing I was hoping you can clarify. So I understand that the last protective order ended in 2015. After this incident happened, uh, again, a month before she was killed, she had gone to the police, but it seems like they couldn't do anything. Am I? Are we understanding that correctly, that police kind of didn't give no. her uh, a lot for her no. to work with or no? No, no, no. That is, uh, that's um, misinformation. That came out so... Uh, two days after the murder, so we, we sat on the information about what had happened for about a day because the police were in the process of trying to contact her parents and stuff. I knew and I told a couple people, but we hadn't, no one said anything to anyone else other than our close circle of friends. And I don't know how, but TMZ broke the news about two, day, two days later. And in their article, they said that like, you know, they, there was a protective order had just expired right beforehand, which was not true. So I think in their rush to get out um, that information, uh, they, you know, did not provide the correct information. And then what happened was people ran with it and then it kind of became a whisper down the lane situation. So there was no protective order. She did not go to the police a second time. Um, I'd asked her if she would consider re-upping uh, her restraining order. And she didn't feel like what had happened would be at a level where the it would be granted because the bar for getting restraining orders pretty high, and he didn't make any direct threats when she saw him, though he did act you know unusual and um, in a disturbing way. She didn't think that it would make a difference, uh, let alone uh, obviously restraining order only works for people who have something to lose, and in mm -hmm. this case, you know didn't seem to care what what's going on so what 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 did he communicate to her the best that you understand about what happened at that event well i wasn't there so i only know what she said and what um, other people have said who were there um but he did recite what she told me is he recited um some 
verbatim text messages that they had exchanged, like when they broke up like eight years prior and told her that she ruined his life and nothing was going well. And, you know, he blamed her for everything and, you know, things like that, which she thought to be very alarming because obviously she, she didn't um, feel like he had moved on with his life since they broke up, which is strange and uh, concerning if, if that happened to anybody. I was reading um, an article and it quoted you. I wanted to make sure this is right. Um, you had said uh, that a Dr. Harwick had said to you that if anything should ever happen to her, it would be Gareth who did it. Is that something she yeah. she said to you? She, yeah, she told me. She told me that on that call um, when she was talking about running into him, and that's that's when I brought up the sharing of locations. So yeah. It's chilling to think about. Um, my understanding is, is you've started a um, a fundraiser, a memorial uh, in her name. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I started, um, well, I'm, I'm going to back up real quick. So um, she and I had had a conversation a few weeks prior to her death where we talked a lot about death and um, our own mortality, our mortality of our parents and friends, and just we, we had this big death conversation. And sometime after that, she actually called her parents and told them, if I die, I want to have an open casket funeral and a very elaborate headstone and all these like strange details that they, you know, ended up having to do a few weeks later. And, but where she's buried, there can't be a um, elaborate headstone. And then secondly, it's in Pennsylvania. So a lot of her friends are out here. So I thought, well, if she had her druthers and if she had a will, which was something we talked about a lot at that in that uh, meeting, then she would have probably wanted to be buried in Hollywood forever, which she liked to to go spend time in. And, you know, we she knew a lot of musicians and stuff and some of the people who were there. Um, so I thought, well, you know, what if we raise money to build a statue um, memorial in Hollywood forever? And then later I, I realized that maybe we could dedicate it to the victims of domestic violence because there isn't really, really any big memorial for it. So anyway, so I started a fundraiser to build like a bronze statue of her, like a life-size, what may not be able to be life-size based on the rules and uh, uh, raise money to actually put it there. Most of the money would go to actually getting the plot because it's very expensive to go there. And I started it uh, during the pandemic. We started getting traction, but then things kind of slowed down. So I'm going to get back to working on it. I actually have someone right now who's uh, working on a 3D model uh, of her. She actually had been 3D scanned at one point. So we have access to some digital data of her face and so forth. Oh, wow. And uh, the person that's working on the sculpture, he's actually like a very talented effects guy who's designed a lot of 3D creatures for films and stuff like that. So he's. He's helping um, do the statue, and a good friend of mine designed the statue as a kind of neoclassical um, Amy as Aphrodite um, because she was a sex therapist and always talked a lot about love and stuff like that. Um, you know, standing, and then we're going to do a plaque, and then uh, her beloved cat Marquis would be uh, associated with the statue too because she was always with her cat, who I uh, have the cat now, and uh, mm. he just celebrated his thirtieth birthday. Robert, you're you're a really great friend. I mean, keeping her memory alive, doing this for the memorials, going to the restaurant for a pilgrimage to her, taking care of her cat. Um, it, it's really it's very warm to see. Um, and keeping her memory alive and what she represented. Um, as I mentioned at the top, I mean, her the trial for Gareth Pursehouse is about to start. Um, I know that you can't talk about it. Um, but just if you can, how are you feeling right now about it? And um, what are you hoping? Uh, the conclusion will be to this 
this saga. Today is like the calm before the, the storm of the trial. And the, the past, I will, I'll say one thing that I, I've done a lot of things uh, around Amy because I feel like it's a way for me to continue being her friend and to help, you know, even though she's gone. And maybe it's a way for me to not deal with the fact that she's gone so I can keep doing stuff around her like she's still around. But the trial, I've, I've been talking to some people about it and um, I describe it as my metaphor for it is it's like a very necessary painful surgery that you have to have <laughs> and you really want to be out the other side of it and you know it has to be done but you absolutely don't want to go through it um but you're going to and um i think once the trial starts uh, i'll be catatonic probably I'll, I'll i'll check out and i feel like a lot of people will i as a witness can't attend the trial so i will not see or hear a lot of the stuff that they're going to go over which I guess for, for me, in the end, just getting up and talking about what I know is going to be the easy part. The people that sit through the trial, her parents and her close friends and so forth, they're going to hear a lot more than they may want to hear, even though they feel like they'll need to hear it. And it's going to be, it's going to be really rough on everybody. Obviously, I hope he's convicted and, and put away for life. So um, I guess prior to the trial, though, he's just been in jail. So that's been fine by me. So, um, but now we'll kind of put an end to it. There's never closure, but at least we'll get that behind us and that will hopefully be the last thing. And have you mentally prepared for seeing him in the courtroom? Um, I have seen him in the courtroom uh, during the uh, preliminary hearing. Um, so yeah, that's fine. I don't really have any uh, feelings one way or another about actually seeing him in person. Robert Koshlin, thank you so much for taking the time, talking a little bit more about Dr. Amy Harwick. Um, and we wish you and her family and her close friends the best of luck moving forward. I know this is not a, an easy time, but it is the uh, next chapter in this saga. So thank you so much for taking the time, you're, sir. You're welcome, and thank you, too. And that's all we have for you here on Sidebar, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jesse Weber. I'll speak to you next time. Thank you.